Hey guys, welcome back to the slumber party. Hey, it's nice to be here. Katie, how has your week been so far? You mean aside from losing some of my rights as a woman? Yeah, depending on what state you're in. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, that wasn't great. Uh, we are recording on Sunday, so a couple days after the official announcement of the overturn of Roe v. Wade. Yeah, I don't know. I think it was a, a fellow Chicagoan uh, that uh, I've met before in person. She tweeted, anyone celebra- celebrating Independence Day this year uh, is going on a list. <laughs> Because it's not so independent anymore. And quite honestly, there's a whole bunch of other issues with the whole idea of Independence Day. But yeah, no, I'm I'm not feeling too great about what's going on right now. And so movies have sort of become my safe haven these days. Yeah, I I have a lot of complicated feelings right now about our country. I mean, I have for a long time, but this is just one of those periods where it's even more complicated and escape into fiction has been very nice in between kind of keeping up with the news trying not to doom scroll and oh the doom scrolling is real yeah and and like you know trying not to like hair trigger just repost retweet every angry thing i come across and sort of keep my wits about me yeah, be careful not to spread misinformation there's a lot of of like you said Uh, panic posts that are going up that have information that's either not 100% accurate or just plain wrong. So just be sure before you, you know, click that retweet button, just take a breath, maybe double check to make sure it's accurate. There's going to be a lot of misinformation spread by nefarious people out there and we don't need to contribute to the chaos. Exactly. Yep. So we did want to mention that at the top of the show, because obviously we don't want to ignore things, but we do want to try to have some fun today. So we do. And we are talking about one of Katie's favorite movies of all time. It is. I will probably say that about every movie that I choose on the show, but I do really love this movie, obviously, for our very first ever Independence Day, 4th of July episode, I have selected Independence Day. The 1996 sci-fi alien disaster film that I begged to watch every single 4th of July weekend. Sometimes I that uh, dream is achieved and sometimes it's not. Oh. Hey, we all have our movies. For me, it's anti-mame at Thanksgiving. That's like my number one that I watch around that time. Okay. Yeah, I've never seen that. Oh, we'll have to we'll have to watch Rosalind Russell Russell and her, okay. her glory. But yeah, I'm I'm glad though that even if you don't get to watch it this year, at least we get to talk about it for the next forty five minutes. Yeah, well, and I I did watch some clips in preparation of this movie, even though I feel like I remember it pretty well. But I was like, whatever, I'm gonna have some time. Well, and I have to admit, I've seen it once. I rented it from the library when I was working at the library. You're going to hear me say that a lot in the show, too. I worked at the library for two summers, and I used it as my own personal Netflix, because your local library has incredible stocks of DVDs. Yeah. And so that's how I saw Independence Day, was I got it from the library right around Independence Day one summer when I was working there. Since then, 
don't remember much of it apart from, of course, the president's speech. Quite often, I forget it was Jeff Goldblum and not Tommy Lee Jones in this movie because uh, I do love Men in Black and sometimes I just sort of retrofit Tommy Lee into this film instead of Jeff Goldblum. Uh, Sorry, Jeff, you're wonderful in other ways. And of course, I do remember um, Vivica Fox being in this too. Oh, yeah. As Will Smith's girlfriend turned wife. Yeah. Independence Day was directed by Roland Emmerich, who... Do you recognize that name? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. I'm so bad at recognizing directors' names sometimes because it wasn't something that I started paying attention to until I went to college and made friends with a bunch of film kids. For those of you who do not know that name, he also wrote and directed a lot of other disaster-type movies like Day After Tomorrow. He directed the 1998 version of Godzilla, which gets shit on a lot. Um, It's... It's not amazing, but I don't think it's terrible. I don't know. Uh, He also directed Stargate, which is a movie I love. And he did The Patriot. Yeah, he did The Patriot. Um, Bring us back to that first episode with Heath Ledger. Yeah. If you didn't fall in love with Heath Ledger and 10 Things I Hate About You, chances are you fell in love with him in The Patriot. Yep. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. And then he, Roland Emmerich also wrote the movie along with Dean Devlin, was his writing partner. Uh, This was edited by David Brenner, stars Will Smith, Bill Pullman, Jeff Goldblum, Randy Quaid, Margaret Collin, and Vivica A. Fox. It was released on July 3rd, 1996, and it was rated PG-13 by our friends at the MPAA (laughs) for sci-fi destruction and violence. You know, I know that you just listed the people that were probably top billed, but there are some incredible performances that are coming back to me now. Randy Quaid playing essentially Randy Quaid. Yeah. Um, You've got uh, one of my favorites, uh, Harvey Firestein. Yep. Who Mm -hmm. I do an excellent impression of when I have the flu. Um, all right. He's awesome in it, too. And um, Adam Baldwin. So for all those Firefly fan, fans out there. Brown Adam coats. Baldwin, brown coats forever. Uh, Jane is in this movie as well. Yeah. So. I had such a crush on Adam Baldwin and as Jane. And Jane was like my favorite character from Firefly when I first watched it. Then I started following him on Twitter and I realized that he's kind of terrible. Oh, yeah. He endorsed Ted Cruz in 2016. Yeah. And he was like very involved in like at the forefront of like Gamergate and like all this other bullshit. So not a great dude in real life. Also, to be clear, he is not of the like Baldwin Baldwins, like the Adam or Steven. Nope. He was born in our backyard in Winnetka, Illinois. Not your literal backyard, though, right? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, our figurative one. But yeah, no, there are other people, though. I'm um, Mae Whitman, who you might mm-hmm. know from Fantastic Projects, uh, Arrested Development, and uh, Scott Pilgrim. She and uh, Good Girls, too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so she plays the president's daughter. We also get Harry Connick Jr. A little cameo. A little yeah. cameo of Harry Connick Jr., and... That, my friends, just makes me so happy. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of, um, hey, it's that guy in this movie. (laughs) Um, Like, the guy who plays the general is, like, a general in, like, every other movie where there's military happening. 
Mm-hmm. I can't think of his name. His last name begins with an L. Oh, yeah. You also get James Rebhorn, yep. who is, you know, unfortunately, I think we lost him a couple of years ago, but he's been in everything you can imagine. Yeah, he's he another. Turns up. He's another. Hey, it's that guy. Um, the guy who played Data in Star Trek. Um, what's that actor's name? Well, he, how come I forgot about him being in this movie? Because he plays the, like, kind of loony doctor that's um, at Area 51 with the long hair. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's the actor that plays Data. Yeah, I think we got everyone. I think we've gotten everyone. Yeah. So, oh, oh, no, I know who we forgot because I was thinking of this earlier. Okay, again, going back to our first episode, 10 Things I Hate About You, Andrew Keegan has a tiny little baby role in this movie. <laughs> He's he's with like Randy Quaid's daughter in a truck. It's like after the aliens first attack and they're like making out and he's like, You don't wanna die a virgin, do you? Oh my god. <laughs> and then like her brother comes to interrupt and oh is like, Nope, god. we're leaving. Um But yeah, uh and that that actress too was like I can't think of her name, but she was like Robin Williams' daughter in Miss Doubtfire. Mm, we're not talking about Matilda, are we? No, 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 no. Okay. Um, she's the, the oldest daughter. The oldest daughter. Yeah. Got it. Okay. I shouldn't call her Matilda. She has a name and it's, I follow her on Twitter and it's, it's escaping me. Yeah. Cause she she's was also, also the, in, she's Night Vale. She's the yeah. old woman who lives in your home. Yep. Um, so Katie, what draws you, there are a lot of movies like this out there, but what draws you specifically to Independence Day? I don't know. I just love it. Like I saw this movie with my family in theaters. Like this was a, uh, family outing movie. We had a lot of those. We would always go see summer blockbusters, but it freaked me out as a kid for certain, um, (laughs) Because of the idea that aliens could come and just, like, fuck us up in a second. Which, by the way, I was going to ask you, Kate, what are your thoughts on the existence of alien life? Oh, it's definitely out there. Yeah. I just think we're too dumb to find it. Yeah. I, yeah, I agree. I definitely, I don't think we're alone in the universe. I think it's, we're, it's too vast. It would be really egotistical to think we're the only intelligent life. Yeah. For sure. I mean, obviously, there are, like, you know, other types, other species of, like, flora and fauna and other types of life. But, you know, as far as intelligent life goes, we can't be the only ones. And and I'll say that as funny as it is, and I do think it's one of the funniest things SNL has done in probably the last 20 years. Oh, I know years, exactly what you're going to say. But the Kate McKinnon bits <laughs> where she's been abducted by aliens and it's two very different experiences between her and the other people in the room. I feel like that's also very, very likely. Where she's like, uh, they went in my uh, love tunnel and my gravy funnel's out. Yep. <laughs> and she's Donald ducking on top of a Long John Silver. Yeah. her pants out separately. Yep. I definitely think there's there's other life out there. I always think it's funny to think of maybe people or people, uh, aliens, other life forms kind of just avoid Earth for the time being. Yeah, I certainly think that they come down. There's um, a, a bit and I want to make sure that I tag the right creator on Twitter with this because his bits are very funny about um, alien life doing the check in on on planet earth and deciding that it's just it's not it's not ready and we're they're just going to uh shred our application to be part of the um consortium of planets Mm -hmm. it's from this guy Vinny thomas 
Okay. Um, at Vin A, V-I-N-N underscore A-Y-Y. He does this this very funny single camera video of what it would be like if Earth tried to get into any kind of intelligent consortium of <laughs> celestial bodies because we would not make the cut. <laughs> I want to say there's like this physicist or scientist, uh, Michio Kaku. Hmm. Um, who sort of has like a theory of like levels of society. We're getting really existential now before we even talk to them about this movie. But like right now, Earth is sort of either at like a level zero and we're trying to get to level one. And that's why there's like really so much fuckery in the world today because we're sort of like trying to bust through and grow and we have to have this sort of time of like decay mm. before we can have the growth. So is that why half of us lost our rights this past week? Maybe. I guess maybe that's a part of it. If you want to be like sort of an optimist about it or if you're even <laughs> at the point that you could be an optimist about it. But yeah, like like Star Trek, the society we see in Star Trek would for Earth would be like a level one society. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. Yeah, it would. We're clearly not level one in Independence Day, though. No, 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 no. Um, but the reason I asked was because, so the director, Roland Emmerich, actually came up for the idea of this movie, of Independence Day, while doing press for Stargate, and he was sort of asked about his own beliefs and, you know, the existence of aliens or intelligent life, and then just kind of sort of came up with this movie and grabbed his writing partner, and they finished writing the script in three weeks, and it was pretty unchanged. Wow. Um, so even the speech that Bill Pullman makes. So the funny thing about the speech is it was sort of written on the fly. I want to say that Dean Devlin wrote it and sort of just like, you know, bopped it out and was like, okay, this is fine. We'll change it up later on. I'll go back and edit it and make it better. And then I think like shooting day happened and like Bill Pullman or someone said something to him about the speech and he was like, oh shit, I didn't write the speech. And they're like, yeah. So yeah, what he said was sort of what wow. Dean Devlin wrote on the fly. That's um, impressive. Yeah. Because I'm, you know, you know me, I'm in corporate communications and I write speeches for executives every so often. And I'll tell you, um, there is, there is no write it and forget you wrote it. It is changing all the way up mm -hmm. to the minute that executive takes the stage. Yeah. Well, and I was even thinking about it too when I was rewatching the clip of it earlier. I was like, you know, it's so funny because you kind of like maybe people who don't work in communications or don't work in politics a lot don't realize that all those speeches are written by somebody else. The president doesn't necessarily just say them off the cuff, but like in that scene, it looks like he's just saying it off the cuff and it's like, wow, he's really good. But then it was also just written off the cuff. I don't know. Like, <laughs> that is pretty cool. Yeah, it would be kind of an interesting experiment to have Bill Pullman playing this character for as long and then being like, all right, by the way, you're going to make a motivational speech. Uh, action. Yeah. <laughs> Go. Also, fun facts before we get into our fun facts. Kevin Spacey was originally going to play the president. Wow. Yeah, Kevin Spacey was originally going to play the president and they were going to have the president be more of a villain character. So that way when he like becomes cool at the end and like goes to war, you know, essentially with like everyone else and helps attack the aliens. It's like, oh, he was a good dude after all he was supposed to be more like a nixon type president weird so we could have gotten kaiser sose as president as opposed to lone star yeah <laughs> yeah exactly 
I don't know if I would have liked that. Yeah, well, I think it's uh, Roland Emmerich was has been friends with Kevin Spacey since like high school, and so it was uh, like I'm gonna have my friend be in this, and then it just didn't happen. Um, which something I, something I do appreciate about Bill Pullman is you look at him and you can just tell he smells like soap. <laughs> I guess. I just got, I, I get that feeling off of watching him in like, movies. He just always smells like soap. Yeah. I mean, he's a really attractive dude. Even as, yeah, like you said, Lone Star from Spaceballs. Mm-hmm. I always liked Lone Star. That's another movie we're going to have to do with Spaceballs because I fucking love that we movie. We can definitely talk about Spaceballs. I will move on to some more fun facts about the movie. Um, again, this is another one on IMDb that there's like a million like easter eggs and references and sort of like military like references if you're really into that but the few that i picked out was uh number one most of the dialogue in the scenes um jeff goldblum shared with jed hirsch who plays his father and will smith were improvised which is really funny yeah i know a lot of will smith stuff was improvised too they said what was it oh the scene where he is like getting out of the parachute and he's like yelling at the alien ship to (laughs) <laughs> and like having a freak out apparently they did like nine takes of it and each take he said something different oh i love when and actors the, do that and it's for a great blooper reel yeah and like the only line that was actually scripted was when he like puts the cigar in his mouth and he's like so that's what i call a close encounter <laughs> that was a really bad will smith impression um no we'll edit that out Okay. <laughs> Another cool thing is me as a fan of practical effects over computer digital effects. As we've covered in that in our conversation about Mad Max Fury Road. Yes. yes. This holds the record for most miniature model work to appear in one film. Oh, so the tiny towns that they... Yep. Because okay. the White House they blow up was like a tiny White House. Obviously, they didn't blow up the real White House Aww. or like all those other... Cool explosions that happened during the first attack of the movie those were all miniatures and also it's unlikely that their record will be surpassed given how much producers studios rely on digital effects today yeah yeah if we ever talk about apollo 13 i've got some very interesting backstories on how they shot that film but that's another one where it just it was filmed at a time that Practical effects were the best way to do it. It was expensive, but they came out better than the digital effects that were currently mm-hmm. at that you know available at that time. And it just you know they ended up using a vomit comet for a lot of the weightlessness to mm-hmm. show, which means that they were actually in an airplane that was flying at a par- parabolic rate. So it would come down and free fall, and they would float, make them look like they were weightless. And so I think it is one of the last films that I even used to that as their filming because right after the film came out all of like the different ways of, of cooking it in um, in a studio became became available. Yeah. Didn't you do like one of those like waitlist things I did. or whatever? Yeah. I did. That's a story for another time. We'll tease that for okay. another, yeah. another movie we can talk about. But and and we see it now like practical effects. We see a romance between directors and practical effects again when we watch things that Christopher Nolan has made. So mm-hmm. for example, the weightlessness not weightlessness, but the tipsy turviness of the hotel in um, Inception. Oh yeah. That was done with a tunnel that they would spin and they mounted the camera on the side so it looks like everyone's flying around the the um, hallway of the hotel, but they're not. They're leaping from one side of a rotating tunnel to another. Yeah, I've seen the behind the scenes 
shooting Fantastic. for that. And yeah, it's really cool. Independence Day did sort of marry together like the practical and the miniatures and stuff with digital because I think a lot of the planes were digital. Mm, mm-hmm. But yeah, I just, I really appreciate when practical effects are used. I, I get that it is more expensive, but it's really, it's weird to see like Marvel movies where you see behind the scenes and you're like, shit everything is a green screen yeah like i was like i can't imagine like acting on that but i got you know well, chops to them for play and pretend if they do it well it works out well but i've been watching the umbrella academy season three mm-hmm. i know we both love that show um and i, I finished it by the way in four days <laughs> but it's, the uh the green screen work not so hot. Like, I gotta say, you could. I'm becoming like a connoisseur of green screen. Yeah. Where I can tell when it's well done and I can tell when it's not. I, I've only watched the first two episodes so far and I don't think I've really noticed anything. Mm, you'll get to. You'll yeah, get to. Yeah, I was gonna say, maybe I'm not really into like the green screen heavy stuff. Well, and I don't want to spoil anything for our listeners if they are also Umbrella Academy people and they haven't gotten to through season three yet, but there is a connection with this movie and that, as well as Pirates of the Caribbean. And that is, I love me a good end of the world wedding scene. Ooh, there's a wedding. Well, we're not going to talk about Umbrella Academy. Oh, okay. I don't want to mess that up for people, but I do want to talk about Independence Day because we oh, do get... Yes, there is an end of the world wedding a scene. A bunker nuptial, and I love it. <laughs> yes. With her dolphin engagement ring, which yes. I was like, I think it's ugly. <laughs> but apparently the sales on dolphin jewelry like went sky high wow. after that movie came out. It was like a huge trend to like get dolphin. Women wanted dolphin jewelry. Dolphin jewelry. And I think this was around the time of the Titanic, right? So sapphires got super popular again, too. Yeah, it was like a year before because this came out in 96. Titanic came out in 97. Mm-hmm. So by 98, everyone had sapphire dolphin necklaces. and Yeah. Well, and I feel like Mariah Carey was also obsessed with the dolphins. Mm-hmm. And she mm-hmm. was, you know, pretty popular then. That was in the really, really cool Mariah Carey days. But yeah, okay. So speaking, so going back to the 90s, going back to like some of my fun facts. So we all know today will smith as a huge superstar like yep. huge money maker huge film draw so at this point in his career he's only been on fresh prince like that's his biggest thing he's done he's only been known for comedies when he's like in movies so studios didn't want him a because they didn't feel like he was going to be a movie draw and b q racism mm, yep they were like we can't cast a black man in the lead in a sci-fi movie because we'll lose the foreign box office. Hmm. So. Because black people only exist in America, right? Yeah. yeah. I think it's either that. Yeah. I think that's what it was. Uh, but yeah, Roland Emmerich fought for him and, you know, put his foot down and they relented and he got cast. And this is the movie that basically launched his movie career and hmm. made him a huge superstar. Awesome. This is the one. Also, one more fun fact. And this, I'll actually make a guessing game for you. Oh, okay. Okay, so what actor from Star Wars labeled this film a, quote, abomination and a typical Hollywood example of how art suffers for the sake of money? Whoever it is isn't talking anymore because they've stuffed both feet into their (laughs) mouths. I think you might stuff your feet into your mouth after I tell you who it is. Who was it? It was Ewan McGregor. 
Really? Yeah. He said that, and he also uh, ridiculed the movie for its writing, its over-reliance on special effects. Who asked him? Was he up for a role in it or something? I, I have no idea. He might have said that. It said in 1997 he said this, so I don't know if he was doing like press for something and it came up. Well, would he have been doing press for the Star Wars prequels at that point? Um, Which, hello, money grab. Sorry for anyone who likes the prequels. <laughs> maybe the first one came out in 98. So, I mean, maybe, you know, there was some buzz for it. I mean, listen, like, I don't look at Independence Day as my favorite movie or even close to the list. (laughs) But I also know that certain actors have been in TV series spun off of movies that came out in the 90s. And while those TV series are very good, there is something to be said about the commercialization that happens to get us to that point. <laughs> yeah, I guess, you know. We Independence feel... Day had one sequel. <laughs> yeah, which I haven't seen, by the way. I meant to say that at the top of the episode, that I've not seen the second one. I heard it was not good, and I was like, okay, cool, not going to see it. I think that criticism is a little harsh. I think the script is pretty good. I think it's, I think it's a lot better than someone might give it credit for. Moving right along, um, one thing that I really wanted to fangirl about, so we were talking about all the little cameos and the like, hey, that guy's from that thing, like appearances that are in this movie. Mm -hmm. So I have to shout out my favorite one, and it's probably not one that anyone can guess. Actress Kirsten, I'm not sure if it's Kirsten or Kirsten, Warren who plays Tiffany, which is one of Vivica Fox's, like, stripper co-workers. It's Mm -hmm. the one that you kind of see her, and she's like, oh, I'm going to go to the parties. And Vivica Fox asks her, like, please, I've got a bad feeling about this. Don't go. And she says she won't. And then she does anyways, and she gets blown up or whatever. Mm -hmm. So she played Slater's college girlfriend on Say by the Bell, the college years. Okay. (laughs) Her career took her places. Yeah. <laughs> well, she was also in... She had a very small role in 13 going on 32. Okay. Which is another movie we'll have to be talking about soon. For sure. Yeah. Saved by the Bell, the Saved college the years. Okay. Okay. Because <laughs> Saved by the Bell is one of my favorite shows of all time. And I've seen every episode multiple times. And could maybe win a trivia contest about Saved Okay. The we'll Bell. have to find one for you. Yeah. <laughs> This, though, opens up, though, if you plop yourselves, like, I know when we talked about Mad Max, we were like, what would your name be if you were one of the Morton Joe's breeders? But, mm-hmm. and hey, <laughs> we're almost to that point with the <laughs> SCOTUS ruling this week. But um, this does make me wonder a little bit about, you know, how you would react if you were just one of the regular schmoes on the ground in this movie. Like, would you be like Tiffany and run out to the parties? Or would you try to turn your apartment into a bunker and hope for the best? I would, I'd definitely be the proceed with caution type. I don't think I'd necessarily be the type of person that's like, just shoot them out. Like, (laughs) shoot them out of the sky before they can even, anything happens. But yeah, I would definitely be proceed with caution. It kind of reminds me of like the movie Arrival. Mmm, yes. Um, Oh, that movie destroyed me. Yeah, I love that movie. It is so sad, but it is so beautiful. But I really like how that it centers around like trying to communicate instead of attack. And I do remember also after like the 2016 election, 
people started talking about the arrival of aliens a lot more or a lot more often. And I was like, no, aliens don't come now because Donald Trump and his crew will literally just shoot you. And if they're nice aliens, like... Well, no, the fact is that that whole thing was so incompetent that half, like they would kill off half the country trying mm-hmm. to get rid of the aliens. Yeah, exactly. They would use it as an excuse to get rid of anyone who didn't vote for them. Yeah, I, I think, like you said, I want to go back to what you were talking about with Arrival, which is very much about contact and learning what you could from the, from the extraterrestrial life that landed. Because a very similar thing happens in First Contact. Mm-hmm. Which a friend of mine gave that to me. She was a she. She was like, "This is like my favorite movie of all time," and I watched it. And like Arrival, absolutely destroyed me. But I gotta say, the whole opening is very scary when you see like for those who have not seen the movie, a group of researchers gets a beamed video from outer space coming into their feed, and it is a film reel of Hitler speaking. Because that was, it takes so long for messages to relay that that's what the aliens had captured and it had taken them that long to get back to us to let us know that they were watching. So it had taken a whole, like, 70 years. Actually, it was probably less than that. It was probably 60 years at the time the movie was made. But it's based off of Carl yeah. Sandburg's yeah. philosophies and all that. Carl Sagan? Sagan. Yeah, Yeah, not Carl Sandburg. (laughs) Carl Sagan. Thank you. Carl Sagan, yeah. Independence Day is just let's shoot him out of the sky. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. In Independence Day, I was just going to say, they. well, obviously they figure out that the aliens are very aggressive right away, but there is the question on whether or not they should use nukes to try to get rid of them. And like Jeff Goldblum, whose character is like an extreme environmentalist, like Mm -hmm. he's trying to recycle and bikes everywhere instead of drives his car. He doesn't have a license. He was very against them, like, nuking, using nukes on the aliens and, like, polluting our own environment. But then they end up trying that as sort of reactionary after Bill Pullman figures out with his, like, telepathic communication with the alien that they do just want to, like, suck all our resources dry and Mm. kill us and then move along. Like, they're just a parasitic species. Okay, so now, because you're reminding me of that point. Uh Uh-huh. Now we get to talk about why this is called Independence Day, and it's not just because the aliens attack around the 4th of July. Mm -hmm. Right. It's us gaining our independence or maintaining our independence from the invaders. Right. Which is very ironic considering the holiday (laughs) around the time this is supposed to happen. Yeah. I think part of it was, yeah, they wanted to release it on Independence Day, so they kind of like wrote into that. Well, and actually, I, I read some trivia before we started uh, talking about this, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that was going on around the release of this film that this kind of had a domino effect for a lot of other movies. So because this movie came out as a huge success, Steven Spielberg stepped away from making his War of the Worlds film for another couple mm-hmm. of years. Yep. He put that one on hold. They also, Mars Attacks was supposed to come out in December that year, so there's a little bit of a freak out around whether the it would, you know, take the take the piss out of the group that had made Independence Day. Oh, yeah. So, the, you know, I think that it was at a time where blockbusters and, and films were not quite... There weren't quite so many as there are now, where it's like we get two documentaries on Fire Festival that come out in different streaming platforms. Um, and no one, you know, everyone sort of goes, oh, that's weird, and we watch both. In this, in this case, at that time, there were movies that were definitely competing for, okay, what's going to be the sci-fi movie of this year? What's going to be the action film of this year? For the record, I only watched the Netflix 
Firefestival documentary. And I only watched the Hulu one. Well, there you go. Yeah. But together, we've done it all. We, we both know enough. <laughs> we got it covered. Yeah, and well, this movie sort of changed summer blockbusters for a while and disaster movies. It was sort of at the forefront of disaster movies becoming more popular at the end of the 90s. My mom fucking loves disaster movies. She will go see any disaster movie no matter what it is. Really? Yeah. Did she like Day After Tomorrow? Because I think that's the one disaster movie I can get behind. I th- yeah, I think she liked it okay. I don't remember her really saying anything about it. I saw that movie and I was like, this is fine. Oh, I was obsessed with the trailers. I thought it was like the coolest looking movie I could imagine. Another Roland Emmerich, by the way. But yep. what, what sold it was Jake Gyllenhaal playing a high school student, even though he's or I think young college. Anyway, mm-hmm. Jake Gyllenhaal playing a character that's a lot younger than he looks. Yeah. And Dennis Quaid. And of course, Dennis Quaid. <laughs> my, see, with movies like that, my first thing is always to, like, hop on Google and try to figure out if this can scientifically happen. Mm-hmm. Um, because I have a childhood fear of, like, apocalyptic situations that continues to this day. But instead of just being outright scared and afraid, I am more like, okay, can is this scientifically possible um, well and so far we've uh, gotten through a pandemic mm-hmm. so far yeah <laughs> i mean global warming's a thing that's to be concerned about i do remember my grandma telling me once when i was younger that the sun would probably melt us one day i don't know what we were out in the yard together and i don't know what prompted her to say that to like her seven eight-year-old grandchild maybe she had just rewatched the twilight zone episode about the woman who's in her apartment and the sun they're getting closer to the sun oh maybe the paint starts melting off oh shit i I haven't seen that one oh that's a great one yeah i've been for years now i've been slowly moving through twilight zone episodes it's they're so good but sometimes i just like need a break after a while and i actually learned something about twilight zone i know i'm taking us on a tangent that's okay Um, the reason Rod Serling, one of the many reasons that Rod Serling wanted to make The Twilight Zone was because he really wanted to tell the story of what happened to Emmett Till on network. And none of the networks wanted him to tell that story. Okay. So he went back to the drawing room and he created The Twilight Zone where he could talk about issues of race, issues of climate, not climate change at the time, but, you know, environmental, how we treat each other. Yeah, it was and a really progressive show. It was a very progressive show and... A, lar- a large part of that is because they said, no, you can't just outright talk about this lynching that happened mm-hmm. just a short 10 years ago. It was sort of a subversive way to sort of get those stories out there, exactly. get people thinking. Dressed up as a sci-fi spooky show. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. If you guys have not watched the old Twilight Zone episodes and you are into sci-fi, especially Even- sci-fi that makes you think... Oh, and even the new ones um, that uh, Jordan Peele put together. Yeah. I still haven't seen those. Ah, they're very good. Yeah. I was a fan. And if you like Black Mirror, I mean, obviously, Twilight Zone is right up your alley. And it's, I mean, honestly, it's just as fucked up. There were episodes where as a kid, I had uh, nightmares for a good amount of of nights after watching a couple of those episodes. (laughs) So another thing I wanted to bring up is, and I don't know if you know about this, Kate, how Randy Quaid is kind of a loon. Yeah, like I said at the beginning, Randy Quaid plays Randy Quaid. Yeah. There's another movie called The Paper where Randy Quaid plays Randy Quaid as well. Yeah. Yes. So he, was it 2010, 
him and his wife were sort of on the run because they tried to pay for like a hotel like a $10,000 hotel bill with fake credit cards. And then they were on the run. But basically what happened is Randy Quaid went on like a daytime TV show, like CBS Today or something like that. And basically said that he basically talked about the Star Whackers. Have you heard of the Star Whackers before? No. And this sort of Randy Quaid conspiracy theory. They're a nefarious group that are singling out celebrities to either steal their fortunes or kill them. So Randy Quaid and his life claim that David Carradine from Kill Bill mm-hmm. and Keith Ledger, who both died, like David Carradine accidentally hung himself in a hotel room. I didn't know that. It was an accident. He was having some fun times that involved... Oh, I saw a CSI episode about yeah. that. Yep. It, he, he was having some fun times that involved... Precarious placements. Yeah. And... Uh, and yep. And then Heath Ledger, who obviously died of like a sort of accidental drug overdose, he claimed that they were victims of the Star Whackers. Interesting. Also, I didn't mean to like sort of loop it back to episodes that we've already done, but in a weird way. Well, we're, we're, we're going to be teasing... Uh, for our next episode next week, you're going to hear two episodes coming out Tuesday and Thursday, and we're going to be talking about Kill Bill Volume 1 and Kill Bill Volume 2. So this is a really good way of previewing the fact that David oh, Carradine yeah. has been discussed around this table before, and you will get to hear it next week. That's right. We haven't we haven't posted those yet, but we have already recorded them yes. by the time this comes out. But yeah, Star Whackers. Star Whackers. Yeah, and he sort of claimed that like they don't always necessarily kill celebrities, but sometimes they kill them like where they make it impossible for them to live lives. They can't get like credit. They can't buy houses. They can't get any work. That's sort of his thing now. And also, he's a big Trump supporter not surprised yeah and trump has like thanked him for his support and things he said on twitter when trump was still on twitter but yeah randy quaid kind of loony now yeah i don't i don't want to use the word crazy or insane so hopefully loony Loony yeah randy randy quaid is a, a different kind of cookie and yet he is one of my favorite parts of christmas vacation so yeah that was like one of the things i was reading too i don't want to sort of perpetuate because there were like a lot of people that were sort of suggesting that his wife is kind of the crux of like their problems and sort of this like lunacy of like coming up with this conspiracy theory and I feel like that happens so often where it's like a celebrity's wife sort of gets all the blame for something. Oh, gee, I can't think of any high profile cases recently that (laughs) would have anything to do with that. Mm. There was, I was reading this um, really good Hollywood Reporter article that was like an oral history of the making of Independence Day. And I might, if I remember, I'll link it because it's really good. I want to say it's from probably about 10 years ago it was written. But um, in part of it, they, they talk about like, Randy Quaid was so nice and he was such a sweet guy to work with Mm, and like we mm -hmm. never had any problems with him and then there were a few problems like with his wife and trying to get him like out on press junkets and like scheduling and stuff. Interesting. But at the same time, I know in recent years or kind of when all of this conspiracy theory stuff started, he there were reports of him kind of freaking out on set and like lashing out and exhibiting violent behavior who knows maybe you know things just change you never know with like mental illnesses sometimes not saying that he has a mental illness 
I'm not a doctor, but... But I never rule it out these days, Yeah, honestly. yeah, for sure. Going back to Vivica Fox being a stripper mm-hmm. in this movie is one thing I super duper appreciate. It's very ahead of its time, like having her be a stripper. <laughs> I remember there was a line that I didn't really understand when I was a kid. It's when she's talking to like the president's wife, nursing her a little bit because she's injured. Yeah. And they're just sort of chit-chatting like to each other. And the president's wife asks her like, oh, what do, you, what do you do? And she says, I'm a dancer. And the president's wife is like, oh, ballet. And she's like, exotic. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know what an exotic dancer is. Like, I just sort of assumed that... Well, I think my mom, I think I asked her, like, what is an exotic dancer? And I think I kind of just, just, based on, like, the one tiny scene you see of her, like, at the club, that she was just sort of a dancer that danced, like, in scantily clad outfits, I guess. (laughs) Um, I think the term exotic dancer was the euphemism of the 90s and the early 2000s for strippers, because there's, like, if you watch CSI episodes from the first couple of seasons, they allude to Catherine Willows mm -hmm. and her past as an exotic dancer in Vegas, and... Quite clearly, like now looking back, it's like, oh no, they were just trying to be polite and not say she was a stripper. A stripper. Because at that time, stripper was, you know. It felt like an insult, like a bad word. Yeah. 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 Which now I'm like, I watch as many pole dancing videos as I can because I'm I'm very impressed with the athleticism. Yeah, hell yeah. I always wanted to do one of those like fitness classes where you learn to pole dance. Let's do it. Although I will say, have you watched um, Good Luck to You, Leo Grande? Not yet. Okay, well, we're going to have to do an episode on that. Okay. Um, but there is a lovely moment where Emma Thompson's talking to the male prostitute she has hired for the evening. Mm-hmm. And she talks about how girls these days are so much freer. They're actually paying to learn how to pole dance. Yeah. And he makes a comment of, oh, I don't know anyone who would like pay to pole dance. It seems like a posh girl hobby. <laughs> it kind of is. Yeah. yeah, it kind of is a posh girl hobby, I feel like. Oh, for sure. But then again, I know that there's there's one performer here in Chicago who teaches at the, the Brass Ring. I've seen her perform as a burlesque star uh, several times. And she does classes, like beginner classes, once every couple of months. And... I'm keeping my eye out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'll do it. I I don't know if I'd be good at it now because I am a little out of shape, but I would still want to try it. I'm not that that strong, too. I've never had good upper body strength. Even, Even back during my high school athletic days, I never had good upper body strength. But anyways, loved that she was cast as a stripper and sort of her story. And the one thing I was saying to you when we we're sort of pre-planning this episode is like when you first see Vivica Fox, you see her as a mom. Mm -hmm. Like you see her, she's in bed with Will Smith, who I think you maybe don't know if he's like her husband or just her boyfriend yet. But like you just see them having a normal day, like getting coffee, like her, her kids playing, like they just have this normal suburban life out in where Los Angeles or wherever. And I read an interesting bit of trivia that when she was going through the audition process, first she auditioned six times for the role. Really? Yeah. When she was first auditioning, she said that she wore like really tight jumpsuits because she was like, oh, this character is a stripper. So I want to show that I have the body for it. And the casting director was like, okay, we, we can see your body, but like this character, 
Like, she's a stripper, but that's what she does for a living. This character, she's a mom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, like, think of that when you come for your next audition. Interesting. they They reference Sandra Bullock in Speed and, like, what she wears. Oh, okay. Okay. They were like, watch Speed. Pay attention to how Sandra Bullock looks in that movie. And she came back and she was, I think she said, like, she was wearing this dress with, like, frills on it and stuff. Like, it definitely looked more down to earth and like mom like and they were like okay you did your homework mm-hmm. and like she ended up getting the role but i i thought i don't know i thought that was a really cool yeah thing so we're about at an hour i think uh anything else you wanted to cover i think that's it there's probably a lot we can there's add out too. so much more i mean y'all i just i really like this movie it's a nice movie <laughs> to watch and you know i wish we did live in that world that Bill Pullman sort of talks about in his speech where, you know, we can set our differences aside and, like, come together for the greater good and support each other and lift each other up. And, you know, again, especially now this week, like, I just always wish and hope for a better world. And I just hope that it doesn't take an alien attack to uh, achieve it. Well, like you said, maybe we're going from a zero level to a one and this is just growing pains. Yeah, I hope so. Kate, do you want to let everyone know where to follow us? Yeah. So uh, if you are interested, follow us at Instagram and on Twitter at the same handle, at SP Cinema Club. You can follow us there for updates on when the new episodes drop. Um, We're going to be throwing some conversation starters in there uh, starting pretty soon. So feel free to jump in. Tell us what your favorite moment of Independence Day is, or if you've never seen it, or if you watch it because you will listen to this, what you think of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would love to to get some feedback from you and, and just continue the conversation. Yeah, we want we want to know what you guys are thinking, what your favorite parts of the movies are, what memories you have. And also, it'd be really nice um, for everyone to subscribe. Also, maybe rate and review us on Apple Podcasts because that helps us out and helps people find us. Yep, tell your friends. Invite them to the slumber party. Yeah, the slumber party is for everyone. With that, we'll see you next week. Yeah, see you next week. Bye, guys.